Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Hello, folks. How are y'all doing? Good? Right? We are right in the precipice of lunchtime, and so this is the point where I start to lose some of y'all. So try your best. Track along. I'll try to be entertaining as best as I can. Uh, but it's so good to see all of you. Uh, we are in Christmas season. This is uh, my favorite time of the year. Uh, love the food, love the festivities, but most of all, love uh, the reason for the season, you know, why we sing some of these songs. Uh, like I said it last time I was up here, you know, if I had it my way, we'll be singing Oh Holy Night from January all the way to December. Because no matter what month of the year it is, the night is still holy, and so it's still worth singing about. But man, the incarnation tells us that God is with us. What a profound and astounding truth. Through the cross, we learn that God is for us. And on Pentecost, we learn that God is in us. Man, isn't that such a beautiful picture? God with us, walking with us in the midst of all that we face in this life. In trial, in tragedy, in victory, or in challenge. God is with us. So beautiful. And what, yeah, man, something something to ponder and consider. Well, folks, uh, you know, my name is Andre, lead pastor here. Brave, nice to meet you. If I've not met you yet or said hi to you, my apologies. I'll be standing out the door. Please come and say hi. It can go something like, I'm new here. You didn't say hi to me. What's wrong with you? And I'll say hi. Uh, You know, I I tell people often that I am terrible with first impressions. I'm just not one of those first impressions guys. But man, second impression, I will wow you. I will amaze you. I'm like, whoa, this guy, where is this? Where did this personality come from? I, yeah, so please, looking forward to meeting you the second time. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, uh, as Christine mentioned, you know, we are doing this thing uh, called A Year in Review. And now this is part of the rhythm of our church. Uh, you know, as a church, we run through uh, different series focusing on uh, different aspects of what we call a passion statement, which is to be Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the works of Jesus. And towards the end of the year, we will take the last sermon of the year to do kind of a stock take message. Now, this is a time where we, of course, review all that God has done uh, through our community and by His grace, the stuff that we got to take part in, uh, we got to um, you know, establish and express as a part of God's mission on the earth. It's a time where we look back, reflect, and celebrate but more than that, you know, it's a time where we just take a moment to reflect on the year, uh, how we have lived and how we have conducted ourselves in light of God's word, in light of uh, His way. You know, uh, this is around the time where we start making some resolutions. Some of you, you know, uh, you're looking fit, kudos, you know, but if you're in kind of my category where, you know, you are not very motivated in that fitness, health kind of thing, it's more of a... Uh, necessary evil. Uh, you know, this is the time where you begin making resolutions. It's like, I want to lose X amount of weight by like this month that, or I want to read a certain amount of books. And before we get into making resolutions for the new year, I think it will do us good to take a step back and, you know, come and, and into a posture of honest and humble reflection. And if I can be honest, some of us need to repent of how we have been uh, living and conducting ourselves this year. All right, uh, but before we get into all of that, um, you know, I've been really moved by this passage of scripture in Deuteronomy 4, and I'd love to unpack it some point next year, but it says this, do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Then it goes on to say this, teach them to your children and to their children after them. There's this thing about, you know, when we witness the activity of God, we witness what God has done to keep them in our hearts, to ponder consider them, remember them. You know, there's this thing about remembrance that's really key and essential to our discipleship. You know, part of what I think is one of the enemy's ways of distracting or, or, you know, destroying God's people is causing them to forget. When we forget God's goodness, you know, the only frame of reference we have is our present circumstance and we fail to see the long history of God's faithfulness that's been already manifested and expressed through our life. And one of the great ploys of the enemy, if I can put it to you, is spiritual forgetfulness. So it do us good to take a moment every now and then to just remember. We see this great tradition, even in the Old Testament, where the people of God would erect monuments, memorial stones, to memorialize what God has done and how He's met His people. 
And so uh, let me just take you through all the fun stuff that we've done uh, in this year, you know, as we look forward to the year that is ahead. Now, folks, we started 2021 uber duper strong. I love how we started. We started with uh, this initiative called Seek First. Some of you uh, remember this, Seek First? Come on. 48 hours of uninterrupted intercession. Uh, now, I am your pastor, and I would like to be very honest with you. When we first started this initiative, we had 48 slots, uh, an hour each of prayer. And, you know, with all the confidence in my heart, I was very confident that we would fill about 20 slots, and then Andre will be praying for 28 of those slots. Uh, but y'all amazed me. I was proven wrong. I'm sorry I doubted you. The slots were all taken up. Uh, people really uh, carved out time to participate in this, to pray along with us, and many of the slots were actually oversubscribed. So this is something uh, worth rejoicing. And as you know, this initiative then spilled over into a Sunday service where we had an anointing service where we sent oil to all of you to anoint, uh, you know, your wives, your kids, uh, your puppies. No, just, just kidding. But, uh, but it was a very special time. Now, this is part of uh, uh, our rhythm or something that we uh, practice as a church. And we start off the year with an anointing service you know, to dedicate our lives and our year to the Lord. And God willing, you know, we will be doing this in person next year. Now, from this Seek First initiative, it then birthed this new prayer ministry called Seek First. Uh, and now this is led by Tim Sell, who's on our staff. Tim Sell is there. Lovely, sultry voice, uh, who is leading us in worship now. Tim Sell leads the prayer ministry. And the prayer ministry has two meetings, one on Tuesday morning and one on Thursday night. Now, Tuesday morning devotion, if you're on a Facebook, you would see Tim every morning on not every morning, every Tuesday morning at 7.30 a.m. leading worship and sowing prayer into the city. And he's been doing so for the last year, folks. It's all Tim, all Tim. You ask who's the team that runs it, it's Tim. Tim is the team. Uh, and so Tim has been doing this, and so kudos for a whole year of consistency and just sowing prayer. And then on Thursday evenings, there's a community of people that have been faithfully praying for our church, for our world, for our nation. And uh, the last I heard, the last prayer meeting they had, it, it, it ended up having to spill over in the overflow room because people were just coming in, responding to that call to prayer. And so that's really beautiful and something that we would love to see more of in our church. Now, by the grace of God, sometime in February, after, folks, 40 online gatherings, 40 online gatherings, we managed to regather as a church. Now, I'm getting a bit of a muted response because all of you know that after we regathered, two months after, we had to shut everything back down. And so, uh, we paused the services at about the two-month uh, mark. And it was right around the time, if you know, uh, we moved from having our services pre-recorded to having a live broadcast service. So, I have a picture up of the last pre-recorded service worship recording. Uh, now, the worship team will gather, I think, once a month or something to record like four sets uh, of worship. Uh, super labor-intensive, uh, took a lot of time and so grateful for all the volunteers and the staff that has made it happen. And we shift over to a live broadcast. And so the cameras are not up now, but in the earlier service, we actually broadcast uh, the service, right? And so it also gave birth to this new ministry as our team sought to adapt and grow and move along with the times. And so brand new ministry, broadcast ministry. Now for teaching, we had a whole bunch of, uh, no, I, I really believe powerful and 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 good series. Uh, we had guest speakers from outside and within the community. Notably, we uh, had a series called Enduring Faith. Now, if you weren't here for that, we talked about subjects like Tao, deconstruction. Uh, you know, what do you do when you experience wounding, spiritual wounding in the context of church? Now, that was particularly impactful for many of you, uh, as we have heard. And we've also uh, had The Daily back. The Daily is a podcast. It came back for season two, 50 episodes of The Daily. 50 episodes. I say that with a bit of exhaustion because it was exhausting. Uh, so Janice can relate. Uh, we, we love y'all and uh, we, we love y'all very much, but we want to live. And if you keep going with the daily, we may not for very long. And so uh, we hope for season three at some point. Uh, no promises though. 
for Love Our City, which are, is our social outreach arm and our local missions arm of the church, uh, we furthered our commitment to uh, our brothers and dorms. Uh, we had the privilege of journeying, walking, and befriending 60 uh, brothers who are part of a dormitory, and we grew to be more intentional in befriending them and engaging them. Uh, and these are pictures of a carnival we ran on Good Friday, and uh, we actually ran another carnival uh, yesterday, and so some of the volunteers are here. Despite running all of that, they are here, and uh, this is something that we want to continue doing as a church. Uh, we adopted new initiatives, uh, such, as, such as a reading program, empowering women with unsupported pregnancy, among others. And we also had new life groups starting, folks. Now, let me get this out of the way. We need more life groups. Currently, we have a waiting list to get into life groups. That's a bit absurd. Uh, but yeah, you know, thankful for all the new life groups that come out this year, but folks, we need more. And so if you're interested, Pastor Janice is here. Pastor Janice will give you information. Pastor Janice will give you training. Pastor Janice will point you in the right direction. Pastor Janice will make sure you are well equipped, have all that you need to lead the life group. So talk to Pastor Janice. Ah. This is my Christmas present to you. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, so need new life groups, folks. All right, we also welcome, folks, this year, seven new babies. Now, we have said it here often that our growth strategy is evangelism and procreation. And so uh, we have done well in that department. Previous year, we had 10 babies. We are looking to smash the record next year. So come on, guys. Come on, come on. We can do it. Let's build this city. All right, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Now, uh, we can't forget this, right? Now, three weeks ago, we reopened our services, folks, and that's why you're here, you're here back in church, and who can forget this video thing that we did? Let us all come back to church. Uh, muted response, you may not have seen it. It's on our Facebook page. Uh, basically, we redid a Korean song from the TV series Hospital Playlist, which I love. Uh, I don't know whether that's okay to say in church, but yes. Uh, so yeah, we have this video up. Now, over and above all the things I've said and all the things that we've managed to do by the grace of God as a church, it is the answers to prayer, the spiritual breakthroughs, the new sense of vision, purpose, calling that many in our community have stepped into that to me is worth celebrating more than anything else. You know, I love all the initiatives, but Beyond that, you know, seeing what God has done in your lives, I believe it's worth celebrating, even though we have been not able to gather like this manner, in this manner for the large part of last year, dispersed, watching services from home and trying to build some semblance of community while we are dispersed. God's hand, no doubt, is still at work in our community and we see spirit upon us as a church. And so, folks, I believe that is worth celebrating. And so, before we move on for the rest of the thing, let's, in light of all that we've just heard, in light of what God has done in your life, in light of all that God has done in and through you, to the people around you, let's give God praise. Come on. Let's give God praise. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, who's faithful and true, never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's indeed Emmanuel, God with us. What a great year, and we look forward with eager anticipation to the new year. Now, you recently joined us, you know, um, as I said earlier, we exist for this purpose, to help all people be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do the works of Jesus. Now, this is, in our view, the best summary of what discipleship is. Now, discipleship to some of you may be a program you sign up for or a course you take part in, or it may look like mentorship, or you may look like participating in a small group. But as best as we have gleaned from Scripture, discipleship can be distilled into those three goals, to be with Jesus, to abide with Him, to walk with Him, to become like Jesus, to long to embody the characteristic traits, the value systems of Jesus. And it's also to do the works of Jesus, to be His hands, his feet to a broken world that's so needing his love and his grace. Now, the best kind of word that sums up discipleship, in my view, in light of all of the definitions we have in the world today is this idea of apprenticeship, right? We don't really have many apprentices in a city like ours, but, you know, in a different kind of context, you know, imagine you want to be a plumber, you would apprentice under a senior plumber, and you would kind of learn from a plumber, walk in the plumbing ways, and grow to be a plumber one day yourself. 
this idea of apprenticeship. That's how we should view this call to discipleship that Jesus presents to all of us. Neil Cole uh, said this, ultimately, each church will be evaluated by one thing, its disciples. Your church is only as good as its disciples. It does not matter how good your praise, preaching programs, or property are. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumeristic, and not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is not good. What a strong statement. And so it's in light of all this that we're going to ask this big question. And that is this, how have I, how have you, how have me, fed in our discipleship to Jesus this past year? In light of all the challenges, in light of the complex times we live in, in light of, you know, all the uncertainty that we face in our world, how have we fed in our discipleship to Jesus? Have we sought to be with Him? Have we become more like Him? Have we, you know, pursued His works? Have we grown in a sense of mission in our world? I wonder as you consider the last two years of the pandemic, what kind of emotions, thoughts, and feelings come to the fore? For some of you, it may be a sense of joy, fulfillment, you know, that kind of good, tired kind of feeling where you accomplish something, though it took a whole lot from you, you felt good about it. Some of you might, be, might, might feel that way over the last couple of years. And others may feel a sense of regret, remorse, sense of lostness and confusion, anxiety, or that, that, that feeling that you've just squandered a crucial and crucible moment, a discipleship opportunity. I wonder what feelings come to the fore. Now, many that are spoken to as they reflect on the last two years have this common refrain, and that is this, I can't wait for this COVID thing to be over. I can't wait for this thing to be over. Man, I can't wait for the mask thing. I can't wait for the social distancing thing to be over. I can't wait for this thing to be over. But I'd like to offer you a blunt truth in love, and that is this. If we live in the same exact way, fall into the same temptations, traps, and indulgences, then 2022, I would like to put it to you, would be no different a year than the last two years that we've lived. Something has got to shift. Something has got to change. You know, there's a, a very interesting thing that happened uh, in my house about two days ago. Now, uh, Amy, my wife, was at home playing with our baby girl, Sage, in the living room. And we had our windows open uh, uh, in, in our house and a bird flew into my house. This bird was a minor. So it's not, don't think cockatoo, don't think parrot, don't think some pretty bird. It was a minor. <coughs> minor. Minor flew into my kitchen. And then Amy sees the bird and she, and she freaks out. She's like, bird. She starts freaking out, right? And then the bird, in observing that it wasn't really welcome, starts to freak out as well. Like, oh, right? And so the bird flew, flies into my yard. And at this point, the bird is lost, confused, feeling out of control, fearful. And then the bird just starts pooping everywhere. Poop on my shirt, poop on the floor, poop on the wall, poop everywhere. Now, this is a really silly story to illustrate a really simple point. And that is this. Whenever we feel out of control, confused, lost, or fearful, the worst things come out of us. <laughs> and so as we reflect on the last year that we lived, right, in light of all the complexities that we face, let us consider what has come out of us this last year. What has emerged? What has come to the fore? Certain dysfunction, certain things we gravitate you to as a coping mechanism. What has come to the fore? Now, spoiler alert, we will end this service with going through uh, three questions that we have in practice uh, done so over the years. And all these questions really sum up this call to discipleship. And it serves as a point of honest reflection, contemplation, pondering, and even repentance. And uh, before we go through the rest of the content, I'd like to have those questions up uh, at the start. And I'll have these questions up, and I would love to invite you to just ponder, consider these questions even as we go through the rest of teaching and then circle back to a time of reflection. First question is this, do I trust in God's vision for a life well lived? This is a question of surrender. Second question, are there any areas in my heart or life where there is compromise? This is a question of repentance. And the last question is this, do I live a life of self 
gratification or radical self-denial. This is the question of wholehearted devotion. Right. So with all that being said, let us look at a passage of scripture together. I'll open us in a word of prayer and we'll get into the teaching. Sounds good, folks? Do I still have you? Or has the lunch spirit pulled your attention away from you? Rest assured, folks, I'll get through this uh, in a considerable amount of time. Right, Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 21. Hear the word of the Lord. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. How many of you have ever rebuked God before? It's a pretty interesting experience. Curious as to how it pans out. Read down further, verse 23. Jesus turned then and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we first of all acknowledge your presence in this room. God, you're not just a concept that we talk about. You're not just a historical figure that we look to on occasion. You are here in this room. You're alive, ruling and reigning. You come as we gather, as we sing, as we gather in your name. Lord, you are here with us. We acknowledge your very presence in this room. And God, we ask that even as we look at your words this morning, by your grace and mercy and kindness, won't you lead us in the truth where we have entertained lies, lies that we have come to believe as a result of living in this sinful world. God, lead us in the truth, we pray. Give us grace. Speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, in the 4th century, the Roman Emperor Constantine, after a prolonged period of Christian persecution, made an imperial decree that Christianity was now the official religion of Rome. The persecution of Christians then, after that decree, uh, slowed down and almost came to a complete halt as droves of people began to profess that Christianity was now my religion in, in, in a response to the emperor's decree. However, after that decree and that response, what slowly kind of emerged and came to the surface was a kind of brand of Christianity that paled in comparison to how it was manifested and expressed in the first century. To the Romans, religion was simply the rituals that you practice, the gods you erected a shrine for, who you prayed to or who you worshipped to. For the Romans, when it comes to religion, there was virtually no ethical demand, no reorientation of life itself. You could live the same old way you wanted to because religion was merely an add-on to life as opposed to a reorientation, reframing of life itself. Now, all of a sudden, the nature of Christianity or the faith that we profess shifted drastically. In the past, to be a Christian meant reframing, reorienting your life. It meant leaving and following. It involved a whole lot of ethical demand, and for some, it meant certain death, persecution, definitely sacrifice. Now, in that day, following the decree, we saw what was the, the emergence of what we would commonly understand and term to be a nominal kind of Christianity. That means you could profess to be a Christ follower, yet have none of his values, his ethics manifested in your life. You could profess to be a follower of Christ and yet deny him utterly by your lifestyle. Now, in that vein, we today, as a faith community, as a church, have come to tolerate or make provisions for varying levels of commitment, passion, and devotion to Christ. 
Now, this idea of varying levels of devotion, an in or out kind of approach, would have been utterly inconceivable to the first century Christians. It's either you're all in or you're out. It's either you would deny yourself and follow Christ wholeheartedly, or you weren't following Him at all. Now, one of the most haunting observations I have come to in recent months is in my reading of Matthew chapter 23. Now, this you would know is uh, Jesus' exchange with the Pharisees, uh, and He you know, has an indictment against them because they were, they were hypocrites. They were hypocrites. And it's this passage that has, it has seven woes and seven rebukes and seven metaphors, right? He says to the Pharisees, like, you are a hypocrite. Here's a metaphor. Wait, you're not getting the point. You are a hypocrite. Here's a metaphor. I don't think you're hearing me. Here's, here's another metaphor. I don't think you're getting the point. Here's another metaphor. And Jesus, with great inten- intentionality, proposes to them that in light of, you know, even in spite of all that they knew and how well-educated they were, they were hypocrites. Now, often when we read the Bible, uh, we never, if, if ever, uh, associate ourselves with the so-called villains in Scripture, do we? Right? We never, right? We don't wake up one morning and go, man, just feeling like such a Jezebel today, you know? Or we don't go, man, I look at Nebuchadnezzar and that is so me, like, Nebuchadnezzar, right? Or Leviathan is my spirit animal. We don't do that, right? Oftentimes, you know, when we read scripture, we're like, we are David, never Goliath. We're Esther, never Haman. We are Daniel, never Nebuchadnezzar. And in this story, we are the faithful disciples, never the Hippocratic Pharisees. And so often when we read of such rebukes and exchanges in scripture, we automatically disconnect from it and saying that it cannot be us. It is never us. But here's a simple profile of the Pharisees. They were educated men who were well-versed in the Torah, which is the word, and religious observances. They had a good amount of social capital and standing. Today, we, first world educated Singapore, with upward mobility, with our knowledge and our understanding of the things of God, we are, I'd like to put it to you, prone to that same kind of hypocrisy. A base to be hypocritical, hypocritical is to behave in a way that contradicts what we claim. It's not having a walk, or talk, or confession, or convictions, or beliefs, or behavior. And so we come back to the text that we read in Matthew chapter 16 because in this text, Jesus gives us a picture of what it truly means to be his disciple, what it truly means to follow him. Far above the varying kind of definitions we have in our world today, this, this comes from the mouth of Jesus himself. You want to follow me? You want to be a Christian? This is what it means. And so we come back to this text. In verse 22, uh, it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Never, Lord. He said, This shall never happen to you, speaking of the crucifixion. Verse 23, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, to get it out of the way, get behind me, Satan, or Satan, it is not a term of endearment or a nickname, right? It's not like Jesus going like, get behind me, Satan. No, it's not a term of endearment nor a nickname that Jesus had for Peter on the side. It was a rebuke. Get behind me, Satan. Now, this gives us an insight into the human condition, that one of the ways we get tempted and pulled into a kingdom of darkness and begin to entertain the allure of the enemy is when we forego and when we, uh, in, in some sense, refuse the way of the cross. It's true, the refusal of, to adopt the way of the cross, that of forgiveness, that of sacrifice, to which we become susceptible to the enemy. Now, that next line is pretty curious. He goes on to rebuke Peter by saying this, that you have in mind human concerns, merely human concerns and not the concerns of God. Now, this is a particularly strong and crucial rebuke because in our culture today, we venerate self-care and self-love as the highest virtue. And that kind of spills over into our discipleship, how we follow Jesus. We can take Jesus' robust vision of discipleship and essentially reduce it into project self-care and project self. We can take the practice of the Sabbath, 
riches to the glory of God and reduce it to self-maintenance. We can take the privilege of serving and reduce it to, I need my talents and give things on display. We can take church, our participation in church, as a means of glorifying God and reduce it to, what did I get out of it? Did it meet my needs? Did I feel good? Did I feel the vibes? You have in mind merely human concern, not the concerns of God. Then Jesus goes on to say this in verse 24. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. Hear the words of Jesus. Whoever wants to follow me must deny themselves. There's no option here. They must deny themselves. And we do so by picking up our cross. When we think of the cross, we sometimes think of it being an architectural statement piece or being something that we wear around our necks, being something that we sing about. And very so often, we, you know, in some sense, sentiment, oh, I mean, I tripped up on this word in the first service, sentimentalize the cross. Uh, Peter Reeves says this about the cross. When the cross becomes a symbol of power or beauty, suppressing the historical reminder of a particularly brutal instrument of humiliation and death, then its own moral authority under the Christian rubric of cross-bearing is threatened. And that is when we fail to comprehend and we forget that a cross is a means of execution and death. In that day, you wouldn't even speak about a cross because it was so shameful, dark, disgusting, and evil. You wouldn't even talk about it. And this is the same cross that Jesus was making reference to. Pick up that cross. And very so often, we are guilty of sentimentalizing the cross, right? We have that annoying neighbor who walks like an elephant above us and go, man, annoying neighbor, I guess that's my cross to bear. Or, you know, I get angry people often. Man, you know, I get angry. That's my cross to bear. And we reduce Jesus' vision for discipleship, picking up a cross to sentimental things. But Jesus' call to pick up a cross is quite literally for some, metaphorically for all of us, a call to come and die. It's first off a means of execution and death. That's what Jesus has called us to. That, in our urban, fast-paced, hurried culture, is absolutely absurd. Because our cultural mantra is such, nobody or nothing should be able to stand in the way of me getting what I want. If anything or anybody does, that is a kind of oppression. And if I can't get everything I want, I can never be happy. That, if I'm reading the words of Jesus rightly, is at base, a little off base. So we live in a tension today, folks, between the invitation of Jesus, that which has called us to deny ourselves, and our cultural mantra, you can have it all. And here's a point I would like to make. Overall, for many of us, we just can't envision a good life without it having some version of us getting everything that we want, desire, and need. One of the great conflicts of our age is this conflict between self-denial, self-fulfillment self-gratification. Because for many of us, our happiness is inextricably tied to us getting all the stuff that we want. So the question we have to land on is this, can we truly live as faithful disciples of Jesus whilst fulfilling every want and desire? Is there a version of discipleship where I can get all of Jesus and all of my heart's desire? Dallas Willard says this about self-denial. That is the overall settled condition of life in the kingdom of God, better described as death to self. In this and this alone lies the key to the soul's restoration. Christian spiritual formation rests on this indispensable foundation of death to self and cannot proceed except insofar as that foundation is being firmly laid and sustained. It's the foundation of our discipleship, folks. It starts off there. It's a call to self Denial. Now, this concept may be hard for some of us to grasp. Wow, self-denial, what does this thing actually mean, right? And the closest thing we have to this is exercise, health and fitness, right? Deny yourself, those decadent donuts, folks. Sleep early and go to the gym and get a workout. Now, even if, right, let's say, you know, you're into that, even if you skip that 20-piece spicy McNuggets, which in my view is due for a 
uh, a, a comeback, you know, where are you, spicy McNuggets? It's the end of the year. It's time to come back. Uh, even if you deny yourself those McNuggets and sign up for your cult of choice, bar, spin, F45, CrossFit, whatever have you, that, in a sense, is still a, 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 a further mechanism for self-fulfillment. It is denying with another want in mind. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'd like to suggest to you that the self-denial that Jesus is talking about is drastically different from that because where Jesus is concerned, his call to self-denial does not have any kind of immediate gratification on the other side of the horizon. And sometimes, you know, we look at God and his ways as a kind of like vending machine. I sacrifice a wee bit, 10%, where I'm, where's my returns? You know, I'm not, getting, I'm not getting the solid returns, folks. Right? I sacrifice, you know, I serve, I love people. Where is my returns? Where is it? But Jesus calls self-denial doesn't have any immediate kind of gratification reward that's, that's, that's promised. It's drastically different from our version, our understanding of denial. Secondly, I want to zone in on this. Jesus isn't asking us to deny ourselves, but our self. It's interesting, right? Deny, he's not asking us to deny ourselves, but our self. Jesus is not calling you to you know, eat insects and lie on the floor, you worthless shrimp. He's not telling you that, right? To Jesus, you are the object of his affection. He died for you. He loves you. He's not asking you to deny yourselves of any kind of comforts. He's telling you to deny yourself. Now, the word self in Jesus' paradigm means something else. It would def be defined as disordered desires, and that is longings that is out of sync with what God has intended or what we would know to be the flesh. The flesh is desire that is influenced by the lies of the devil and the pull of the fallen world we live in. In that self is what we are admonished by Jesus through Scripture to deny. This, if Jesus would suggest to us in Scripture, if left unchecked, the flesh would wage war on our soul. But as you read earlier from Willard, the way to the soul's restoration is through this painful, arduous process called self-denial. Now you may be thinking to yourself, why would I do this self-denial thing in the first place, huh? It doesn't even sound fun. Right? Does it sound appealing? No, 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 not really. But Jesus is his master teacher. He tells us why. Why we should pick up our cross and follow him. He says this in verse 25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And one of the things we observe as we read scripture is that very rarely, if ever, when Jesus ends his teaching, he doesn't go with a commandment, doesn't end with a commandment or a task. More often than not, Jesus ends his teaching with just a statement on reality. It's better to give than to receive. The last shall be first. No one can serve two masters. Jesus makes a statement about how life is ought to be, how we ought to live. And here Jesus is making a statement on reality. If you really want to live, then you first must die. This is one of the great paradoxes of God's kingdom. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for Jesus' sake, will find it. That is where fulfillment, joy, satisfaction is found. Now, death, dying. What does it mean? Right? It sounds a bit intense. Bonhoeffer, when he talks about discipleship rights, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Now, for many in our world, that is quite literal. It's a literal death. Bonhoeffer himself would be killed by the SS in Nazi Germany. Many of our fellow brothers and sisters who profess the same faith that we are professing here in this room are being killed and martyred for that very same faith, even till today. It extends further back into the first century where the disciples suffered and died for this faith. Now, I would hope, should the time come, if ever required, that you and I would stand for our faith when it counts and when it costs. But thankfully, in our context and the city we live in, uh, this, is, this is not the case, right? 
the call to Jesus is a literal death for some, right? But it is surely a metaphorical death for all of us. The call to Jesus would mean literal death for some, but self-denial for all. Self-denial for all. John Calvin will call self-denial the crux of Christianity. Self-denial, my friends, is the true litmus test of whether we have made Jesus King and Lord over our lives. Now, I'd love to look at one other story in Scripture before we hit those questions. Let's look at Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Singing Jesus. Jesus then replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now we can do a lot of work with this text. It's a very complex text and many of us uh, honestly find it hard to grapple with some of the things being said here. But here's an observation I'd like to just draw your attention to. The problem with the man in this story isn't so much that he did not believe in Jesus, that he doubted that Jesus was truly a rabbi, messiah, prophet, or lord. He didn't doubt. The problem wasn't that he lacked belief. The problem here was that he was not willing to pay the price to be a follower of Jesus. The issue here isn't apprenticeship to Jesus versus atheism. The issue here is apprenticeship versus a non-committal consumeristic faith that wants the benefit of Jesus without the cross, the kingdom without the cross. That is what is at play here. And that is honestly one of the harshest realities that many of us grapple with. One thing God's kingdom, His fullness, and yet with every fiber of being struggling to pay the cost. The truth is, I, like all of you, want the best of both worlds. I want all of my desires and wants and have God's kingdom. I like to call this battle and this, re- this tension within me the Hannah Montana conundrum. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen the TV series Hannah Montana. I grew up with it. But just to explain, it's the same person. Uh, she's a student by day and a pop star at night dual identities, you know, like living in that tension, all that kind of stuff. Hannah Montana, conundrum. Now, I want to be really generous as a person and be really rich. I want to be a pastor and yet, at times, you know, I feel like, oh man, you know, I love to kind of live in the world a bit. I love to kind of like live it up. I want character, but I honestly don't want any suffering. I want humility, but I don't want humiliation. I want patience, but I don't want to wait. I want to grow in kindness, but I don't want people in my life to regularly annoy me. I want to hear God's voice, but I don't want to wake up early. I want the life of Jesus, but I don't want to take up the cross of Jesus. I wonder how many of you kind of relate with all that I've just said. Now, these desires that I've painted out isn't all bad or evil by any means, but if they overtake and take precedence over my desire and devotion to God, it has become, by definition, an idol. It's it's a kind of idolatry that supplants the rightful place of God in my life. And that's what self-denial does. It confronts these sacred cows, these idols that we've built up in our life, that which we gravitate to, that which has our affections, devotions, and by extension, allegiance. Self-denial does that. And that is the self that Jesus is calling us to put to death, to deny. So, it leads us to this couple of questions. How has your apprenticeship to Jesus cost you? How has it? How has it cost you? And the next is this. How, has, how is your apprenticeship to Jesus costing you? How has it and how is it currently costing you? And the nature of sacrifice, as you know it, is that, you know, yesterday's sacrifice can very well become today's convenience. So what was sacrificial two years ago, done over time, can become easy, it can get complacent, it can become convenient. So this call to discipleship and self-denial is meant to be progressive. 
but how is it costing you today? Now I close off uh, with what I call three professions of someone who walks this self-denial kind of lifestyle. First off, it's his way, not mine. God's way, not mine. Second is it's his time, not mine. I don't seek to control God as some kind of divine commodity. I trust in his timing. And the last is this, his will, not mine. Henry Nouwen would define spiritual maturity as being willing to be led where you would rather not go. Being willing to be led where you would rather not go. His will, not mine. Can I end off with one final story before I take us to that reflection? I know I'm running a bit over. Now, uh, some time ago, uh, I was at home uh, and I had just finished a series of meetings in the morning and I had stuff on at night and I had just that little window of dull time uh, in between my day. Now, you know, let me be upfront and honest and confess, I have developed an affection for Korean dramas in the last year. Uh, you know, COVID has done that to me. That is a cross that I'm trying to, you know, that is something I'm trying to put to death. But anyway, so, you know, I was at season two of Hospital Playlist, this show I was talking to you about, you just heard, and I was down to my last episode. And so I was just saving this last episode. It's like an hour and a half. I was like, I, I need this episode to just like, you know, yeah, it just makes me feel good. And so I was just saving it. And I was like, man, that window, I'm going to like watch that episode there. And so I ordered in a nice lunch. I was ready to watch my show. And then as I queue up my Netflix, I got a text from someone in our community who said, hey, Andre, uh, wonder if you're free now. Can we meet up? Need to chat. Now, at that point in time, my kind of first ordered desire was, I want to watch my show. La. You know, like, I work hard. Like, come on, you know, I order lunch. I, I deserve this. But at the same time, you know, I read, read a text and it's like, need to chat. What does he need to chat about? It seems like he need. And then I just really felt convicted in the moment to meet with that friend. And in the end, it became a really good meeting, a really needful meeting. Now, silly story again. Here's the point I'd like to make. For some of you today, as we hear about this thing of self-denial, could be this major thing that God is calling you to deny. Holy Spirit is calling you to this, you know, really, really great act of sacrifice, putting something to death. But for others, there isn't that one thing. But perhaps in this coming week, there could be a thousand opportunities for you to deny yourself. A thousand chances to die. If you are a parent, there's a thousand chances to die this week. If you have parents, there are a thousand chances to die this week. If you are married, there's a thousand chances to die this week. If you know people, there's a thousand chances to die this week. If you're friends with me, good gosh, there's a thousand chances to die this week. If you inhabit a body, there's a thousand chances to die this week. There are so many opportunities for you to deny yourself, to pick up your cross and following Jesus. And following Jesus, quite simply, is about those moments. It's having the opportunity to choose between flesh and spirit, between hospital playlists and meeting with a friend in need, between click or close the tab, between yes or no between you fill in the blanks. Because following Jesus is a thousand small deaths that leads to one massive life. That's the call to self-denial. And so even as we close this time, can I have the band uh, join me up the stage as we look to ponder this question? I am reminded in the Psalms where David says this and prays this, search me, God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thought. And then he goes on to say this, see if there's anything offensive within me, lead me to the way everlasting. And in this act of prayer, reflection, and consideration, we're asking for God to do just that, to search us, to know us, to lead us into the way everlasting. And so can I have my questions up on screen? And I want to invite you in this moment to, you know, if you want, you can pick up your phone or if a notebook or just staring at a screen kind of works for you. Look at these questions and... I want to invite you to just take it before God and just consider this last year that you've lived, how you've conducted yourself, and bend yourself not to what is socially acceptable and palatable to culture, but consciously bend yourself to what God has called you to be and do as his follower. Do I trust in God's vision for a life well lived? 
Are there any areas in my heart and life where there is compromise? Do I live a life of self-gratification or radical self-denial? That is a question of wholehearted devotion. So I can invite you in just a posture of pondering, contemplation, and reflection. And for some, it could be repentance before God. Let's spend a few moments looking to God this time. I invite you all to stand. Uh, I encourage you to just take those questions back home and uh, reflect on them further. But one of the great realizations I've come to in this last year is that we cannot self-engineer a life of transformation for ourselves. Even as we hear these things and are moved and convicted, there is a limitation to our ability and strength and resolve. What we need is God's grace and His Holy Spirit to enable us to live to what He has called us to live. And we were made to do this life on our own. God has given us His Spirit. And so, this is my closing prayer for you as we close out this year of in-person gatherings, that the Spirit of God will fall afresh on you. So I invite you to lift your hands before you as I pray this. Holy Spirit, in humble repentance, we look to you in this moment. You are source strength. You are our grace. You are mercy. So God, in light of all that we've heard, light of how we've been confronted with things that are out of sync to your way in our own lives, we ask this day, Holy Spirit, come upon us now. Fill us with power. Fill us with grace. Fill us with strength and resolve to live in accordance to your way. Jesus' name we pray. Amen.